Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hoffman-Smith. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you as always by Penn State Health. He's Daniel Gallen. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Drucker's week for Penn State. Two more games to go in this 2021 season. Some people, I'm sure, looking forward to the finish. Some people not looking forward to the finish. Uh, but Rutgers marks the final home game, senior day, and then they wrap up next week at Michigan State. So we'll take a look back here quick at, at the 21-17 loss to Michigan. Any final thoughts we have there? Look ahead to Penn State Rutgers and some of the storylines that have emerged in the middle to late portion of this week that are worth keeping an eye on. But Daniel, let's look backwards first. Um, that loss to Michigan, it's just part four out, four out of five games they've they've lost now. I think they they hung in there. They played tough, but it seemed like to me just some of the usual deficiencies. They just didn't have enough to actually win that game. The thing that really stood out for me, and I wrote this in a takeaways column after the game, is that this is the type of loss that you really rue and that really haunts you as it goes on. I mean, you look at the other losses this year in kind of this streak, like the Iowa loss, you can kind of chalk that up to an anomaly because of the Clifford injury, uh, the Illinois loss. I guess I'd call that kind of a fluke. That's obviously their worst loss of the year, but it happened in a weird fluky fashion with Clifford's health. Um, And then the Ohio State loss, they kept it close. They made it interesting. They, you know, I guess did enough to be in that position. Um, But then this Michigan loss, it really felt like they, they had it in kind of the, the back and forth. They landed the counter punch when Arnold Ebiketti stripped Cade McNamara uh, they were rebounding from some some early mishaps. And so I think that when you look at how the game ended and what they had the opportunity to do, I think that this is the game where when they look back on this year is that this is the one where there wasn't anything really fluky that happened. There wasn't anything anomalous that happened. This is the one where you kind of say, all right, we had our ducks in a row in kind of a slugfest and we got beaten out. What did you make of just the special teams fakes early? I know that as we sit here today and as people listen to this podcast, this isn't new news, but you and I haven't had a chance to discuss this. And I'll just share what I think uh, right off the bat is that I I didn't like the tone that that set in the game for Penn State. You know, I think that the tone of going back to back for fakes like that, not only do I disagree fundamentally with following up a fake with another fake, just not a handful of plays later, it's very, very unlikely to catch your opponent off guard. I thought Michigan actually defended that fake punt pretty well. They were aware of it. Uh, Curtis Jacobs is just kind of freakish, and Jordan Stout threw a better pass than Taquan Roberson has, has thrown this year. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought they kind of got away with one with the, with the punt, and then to go back to that well again, I disagreed with it. And uh, I just thought that you know to, to do that so early in a game where you are pretty evenly matched with this Michigan team, yeah, I just didn't think you needed to resort to those tactics. And it set a tone in this game for the Penn State team, I think, that you know we don't match up with these guys. Is this what we have to do to win this game? That's a good way to frame it. The fake punt, I was perfectly fine with that. 
like you said, Michigan did defend it pretty well. I think after the game, Curtis Jacobs was like, yeah, usually when we run that play, I'm wide open. Uh, so he was like, it was a little bit of a, of a tougher catch than he had to make. Um, but I was fine with the fake punt. I mean, I thought that that set a good initial tone for the game. Like, all right, we're coming out here kind of like a, we have nothing to lose. We're going to go for it. So I, I kind of appreciated that. And it was something a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, but going back to the fake field goal, I mean, I think that that's kind of the most honest thing that Penn State has said about its team this year, where it's fourth and goal at the two and you run a, a fake field goal. I think that that you can't gain two yards. You don't have faith in your offense. You don't have faith in the running backs. Um, you're not even going to try to do the Tyler Warren package, uh, which in itself is also like a kind of another indictment um, of this offense. So I think that that was probably the most honest thing that, James Franklin, Mike Yersich, and just kind of the, the whole operation has shown. And then you just kind of look at it at the end of the game. You lose by four points. You leave three, anywhere from three to six to seven points on the board by going for the fake field goal. And even if you don't make it on a regular offensive play, Michigan ball at the two. Penn State defense has been really good this year. That's a long field. Uh, instead, it's just an absolute disaster. And just the momentum swing, the yardage swing. And then later, Jordan Stout in the third quarter, Jordan Stout misses, I think it was a 43-yarder. So that's at least six points uh, that you leave on the field in a four-point game. You know, after the game, you know, there's a lot of of talk about the the fake punt. Curtis Jacobs is really excited about it. He's always excited. He's always in a good mood, no matter what happens, which is young kids are resilient, I guess. But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, that was one great special teams play that, helped put points on the board, but then you had two other ones that took points off the board. So, you know, I think that fake punt set a good tone and then the fake field goal, you know, maybe it's different if Cheka hits stout in stride and we're having a totally different conversation. But I think that just kind of doing that in that spot just kind of sent a different message uh, after the fake punt. The fake punt was, all right, we're going for it. We're not scared. We're going to do whatever it takes. And then the fake field goal is kind of like, yeah, we don't think we can gain two yards, so we're we're digging into the bag of tricks. I did appreciate the honesty after the game about about the it's no secret we have got short yardage issues, and that may be true, but I think um, not being able to get two yards is a challenging situation all year long. And what do you do as a coach? James Franklin must have felt like I've done everything I possibly can. We've tried everything. Why not this? And Maybe he's right, but I, I, I do think you got you to line it up. If it's, a, if it's a deficiency or not, if you're going to make that decision, you either, you either take the three points or, or you line it up and you do it. And I think that you, you contrast that with the, the sequence in the second half when they, they scored the touchdown and went for two to tie, where that's a similar spot on the field. And they went kind of the opposite way where it was, all right, we're going to let our players make a play, where they line up in that. T formation and you have Noah Kane and Devin Ford as the running backs, neither of whom had had barely played um, the entire game. And so you kind of know that it's not going to be a run there and you just throw it up. Tyler Warren makes a great catch. And then you come back on the two point conversion. John Dotson is not open. He is blanketed and Clifford throws it to him. And then Dotson is a guy who normally in that situation, really close to the, to the goal line. That's kind of where he's not as effective because he kind of needs that space, but he just makes a, a great catch. Um, and I think that you contrast 
that sequence with what you saw in the first half. And it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta let the players make the play. All that in mind, Penn state, I think for two weeks in a row uh, and James Franklin mentioned it this week, the running game has shown some more signs of life. You know, you saw, you saw a little bit more burst from Noah Kane. You saw a little bit more burst from, from uh, Kevon Lee two weeks ago against Maryland. Uh, you saw, I thought a pretty good Kevon Lee. And I think even more importantly, a dedication to get him those 20 carries in the run game. Are you seeing the the run game progress? Are you feeling like, and I'm, I'm sure this will come up when we talk about Rutgers, but are you feeling that maybe they're turning a corner a little bit and that we could see the most successful run game of the year coming up this Saturday? I mean, I think at this point in the season, you're never going to actually turn the corner. I think the season will end when you're still halfway through the corner, <laughs> just based on this whole kind of body of work that they've put together. But it was kind of, I guess, reassuring or I don't think comforting is the right word because nothing about that game was comforting. But it was just kind of, all right, we're going to give it to the six foot, 239 pound running back. He's going to make something happen. We're going to get those three, four, five uh, yards. And I think the one thing that I really like about Kevon Lee is that he's a guy where he can string together some pretty nice gains. Um, I forget which game it was earlier this year. Maybe it was, it was one of the games in September where there was a sequence where he got the ball, I think four times in a row and picked up about 20 some yards. Um, And we saw something similar. There was one sequence uh, on one of the drives where he had three carries picked up 12 yards. And it was just kind of the, that's what you want to see from the running game. We're going to give it to him. He's going to fall forward. We're going to give it to him. He's going to fall forward, pick up, you know, enough gains to, to make this manageable. So who knows what it'll look like on Saturday against Rutgers. Cause it's looked different uh, every single week this year. But I think that Lee showed enough that he should be the first back out there again. And I think you got to give him at least 15 carries, try to let him control the game, try to let him push forward something that we'll get to uh, is we don't really know what that offensive line is going to look like, which is kind of throws a lot of that in the flux. Uh, a couple thoughts just on the run game in general. I know um, there are issues in every phase of it, but I think when you are trying to juggle for running backs, it always tends to, when things are going well, that's easy. When things are not going well, I, I feel like it can be detrimental to try to figure out who the hot hand is and be chasing your own tail with who what personnel to use. And that's what the spot they've been in. I also think that Kevon Lee, what he demonstrated last year and what we saw you know against Michigan, is he is a volume runner. I think he needs a lot of work to, to get the best out of him. And I think when he's getting sporadic touches and he's not sure when the next carry is going to come, I don't know if evidence on film supports this, but it might tend to get him to, to do the East-West thing that hasn't worked out all that great for him, to try to do too much. I think when he knows the next carry is going to come soon, he's a better running back than, than he is when he's trying to get in there and spot duty and, and know that he's only getting six touches in a game. Yeah, the hot hand thing is interesting because I feel like the way that the Penn State running backs have kind of been rotated through this year is that guys haven't necessarily gotten the opportunity to even be the hot hand uh, when you look at kind of the the carries distributions. Um, and then on top of that, Lee has had some fumbling issues. And I think that it's kind of, it's a case-by-case basis. And obviously different coaches handle this uh, differently. But I think that we've seen that Penn State's approach uh, with Franklin and I guess Jaywan Sider, the running backs coach, is that when there's a fumble, they go with kind of the, the punitive approach. Like you fumble, 
you're, we're, we're not going to see you for a little while. You're going to go, go onto the bench. And I think that we saw that happen to Lee uh, earlier this year. And so that's kind of a thing where you think about, all right, what's kind of the, the best way to handle that? Obviously, Penn State thinks that that's the best way to do it. I'm kind of of the mind that, all right, if a guy fumbles, maybe you hold him out for a drive, but you got to get him right back in there because a lot of times fumbles can be kind of fluky um, depending on the player, depending on circumstances. So I think that sometimes the the best way to get a guy to bounce back is just to, you know, you might sit him for a couple of plays, but put him back in there, let him roll, let him get over it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that too. And I think that plays into having a bunch of running backs that, that you think can do the job. It allows you to, to be punitive with a, with a mistake <laughs> like that. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. To circle back around to the offensive line, there have been some non-COVID illnesses. Just recap us on where that leaves Penn State as we know things right now. The name and, and the names that we could also see. Yeah, Wednesday night. After practice, James Franklin said that around a half dozen six players were absent because there's a non-COVID illness going around. Uh, we didn't see Rashid Walker, Caden Wallace, or Mike Miranda. I read some other reporting that Olu Fashanu was not there either. Um, with Miranda, I think it's worth noting that he also left the the Michigan game uh, early with an injury and, and did not return. So I think there's there might be a little bit more there than than just the illness, but when you're down three fifths of your starting offensive line, when that position group hasn't necessarily been the strongest this year, uh, it makes for interesting dynamic. Franklin mentioned Bryce Efner, who's primarily been the number six offensive lineman this year. We've seen a lot of him at both guard and tackle. And then Landon Tangwall, uh, the freshman who was the highest rated signee in the class of 2021. Those two guys, Franklin kind of mentioned as, as the next guys up. Olu Fashanu would be one of those guys, I think. Um, Rashid Walker has talked a lot about him. Franklin's been complimentary of him, um, but obviously his status seems up in the air. And then after that, I think Des Holmes is another guy who who could see some time. But it has been really interesting with the the Penn State offensive line this year, where they've really only played six guys. Uh, Efner's kind of been the the guy off the bench. He's rotated in at left guard a little bit. Uh, he's been in at right guard when Juice Scruggs has moved to center. I think he played a couple snaps at right tackle. Um, and I think against Ohio State when Caden Wallace got shaken up for a couple plays, but they haven't really gone back behind him. I feel like Anthony Wigan is the only other guy we've seen take meaningful snaps uh, on the offensive line. And that was week one. And we've just barely seen him um, again. So that's going to be an interesting situation, um, especially when you factor in the running game, Sean Clifford's health, keeping him upright. It's... Uh, the Rutgers uh, defensive line isn't exactly the most fearsome thing, but it's definitely something to monitor. So here's my question, and I'm sure a lot of Penn State fans at this point in the year are thinking something similar. It's hard in the in the course of a season to make adjustments versus letting guys play through struggles or slumps or, you know, they haven't been a very cohesive group. 
is it the worst thing in the world to thrust change upon Penn State along the offensive line to for to to force it to happen and force a different combination? Perhaps I mean you you might come out of it appreciative, uh, more appreciative of the group before if the if the new one struggles. But at this point in time, I think a lot of people feel like they wouldn't mind seeing some new blood along that group. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about uh, seeing Tangwall out there. That's something that I've gotten some some mailbag questions about. He's someone who's been brought up, I think, probably the most um, in terms of the offensive line as as other options. So it sounds like we'll get the chance to see him. There's only two or three games left this year, so they don't have to worry about his redshirt status anymore. And I think that they can kind of put him out there, see what he can do, um, and kind of let it roll a little bit. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprise if the offensive line looks a little different. Um, whether that leads to different results, uh, <laughs> I think remains to be seen. All right. So let's look, look at Rutgers noon kickoff BTN uh, at Beaver Stadium home finale senior day. And the one thing I'll say about senior day right off the bat is James Franklin issued I, what looked to be a nice blanket statement that just because a guy gets recognized doesn't mean he's not coming back. And just because a guy doesn't get recognized or doesn't choose to walk out there with his parents doesn't mean he's definitely coming back. So I think he put it out there like, don't try to glean information from anything you see before the game begins here. Yeah, his comments were pretty interesting uh, when you talk about senior day, uh, because usually the conversation about senior day is oh, it's going to be a great day for the guys. We're really excited to honor them. It's, you know, it's going to be a great moment. And and Franklin did say that you know, he said that we want we want this to be a nice day for them. It's going to be great. The fans are going to be there, especially for guys like Tariq Castro Fields and Jaquan Brisker, who walked last year at senior day in an empty stadium. They get the chance to do it at Beaver Stadium. Um, but he did also acknowledge some, some other honesty from the James Franklin, the CEO and, and program manager uh, standpoint, where he, he called it a mess in terms of trying to figure out who's going to be back, who won't be back, what that means for for the numbers on the roster, what that means for scholarships. Uh, throughout the season, Franklin has kind of made it sound like that they're treating it like normal, that you come and you have five years and then that's that's it. It does sound like that, you know, case by case, they'll look at that six years, extra years. I think Tariq Castro Fields and Brisker are, are two examples. Um, and then they brought in John Lovett, uh, the the transfer from Baylor for for a fifth year so. Um, it'll be interesting. Yesterday, Jesse, we talked to Jesse Lucetta and Cam Sullivan Brown on Wednesday. Uh, Lucetta accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, but said that he hasn't made the the concrete decision that he's he's going to leave. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown, who has spent five years with the program, said that after the season he'll meet with his his family and coaches and uh, decide what they're going to do. So it'll be interesting. I think that. There's kind of a couple interesting tiers of guys that you know will be gone, guys that might, and then guys that could come back or that they they would be willing to have back. There are three that, that you jotted down. Um, and, you know, Jesse Lucetta, PJ Mustard for Sean Clifford. Uh, you also do have uh, Brandon Smith for sure, Rashid Walker, who's maybe got a decision, Joey Porter Jr., who maybe has a decision. I wanted to focus just on Jesse Lucetta for for one. He accepted that invitation to the Senior Bowl. I think there's a little bit of buzz because what Penn State is asking him to do is part of a new wave of things that the NFL is asking guys to do too. I think they, I think the NFL now more than ever loves guys who are more or less positionless. And Jesse Lucetta, I think, has the skill set to play in space. 
or put his hand in the dirt if, if NFL teams ask him to do that. Uh, I don't think, you know, you look at the stat sheet and you don't see a, a, dy- a dominant player in Jesse Lucchetta when you look at the box or half a sack this year, for example. But I think anybody who watches games would say that the value that he's brought to the table, it's kind of like Jason Owe last year. You know, it, it's more than the numbers. And I think he's probably done enough to make that a decision it might be worth it to him to make the jump where before the year began, it wasn't even the realm of possibility in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, Lucetta was in Todd McShay's top 10 outside linebackers rankings. I think he was number six or number eight, somewhere in the, the second half of that top 10, which I thought was interesting. Obviously the Penn state defense has been really good this year. So there's a lot of guys um, from that side of the ball in these pre-draft rankings, but Lucetta is interesting. I think that you kind of have to weigh it where Does he want to come back for another year to kind of develop those skills, burnish out that hybrid traits uh, in college, potentially boost his draft stock a little bit more? Or does he want to go into the NFL a little bit more raw, I guess, where a team can see him, look at him as kind of an unfinished product, bring him in and really mold him into who they want him to be? I think that that's kind of what what he has to weigh. I think it'd be really interesting to know you know, kind of what feedback he'll get from NFL evaluators in terms of potential draft stock and kind of how he fits in at the next level. But it will be an interesting decision. Yesterday, he did say that he hasn't made the decision yet. He's going to, but he was pretty reflective uh, about his time at Penn State. A decent amount of past tense being used. Of course, who knows how much you can actually read into that. But I think that I wouldn't really be surprised if he left. I think that with with the COVID year, especially with the NFL draft prospect guys, there's I think there's some factors that kind of get overlooked sometimes. Part of it is like the, the academic factor. Uh, I was on a call with a Zoom call with Zach McPherson, uh, the former Penn State corner who ended up at Texas Tech. He left and he was asked why he had the option to come back. I think it would have been for a 60 year. And he was just kind of like, I have two degrees. He's like, I don't need another one. Like, I don't want to do school anymore. I can go do this. Uh, so I think that's something that gets gets overlooked um, as much as you know, with the student athlete label. And I think the other point too is that NFL teams, they really factor in age. And if you stay, there's a difference between drafting a, a 22-year-old and a 23-year-old. Uh, Penn State, I think Brisker, uh, Lucetta, and somebody else, I was looking through their bios, their they're 1999 birthdays. So they'll be 23 when when the draft comes. And I think that NFL teams drafting a 24-year-old, even though he might be experienced, even though that might mean he's a little bit more developed, that lowers the ceiling a lot. So I think that that's also something that, that you kind of have to factor in is that NFL teams want upside. And the more time you spent in college, the more of a known product you are. And that kind of lowers, lowers your ceiling a little bit. You can wish upon some stars with Jesse Lucetta right now. That's, that's for sure. And you know that you're going to get maximum effort, maximum buy-in. I think those are some of the things that are going to help him out a lot. And uh, maybe he can help himself out with a good NFL combine slash pro day. Let's look at this Rutgers game quick. I, we did predictions on Penn Live on Thursday. Uh, I try not to, I don't look at anybody else's scores before I pick mine just because I don't want to get into that price is right kind of thing where I'm adjusting <laughs> based. But you and I ended up with essentially the same score. I think you picked 24 14. I picked 23 13. Mm-hmm. 
I would venture to say we both kind of expect not a lot of pretty football. Rutgers trying to do ball control and and play mistake-free and just try to hang around and wait for the ball to bounce in their direction, where Penn State, you know, in my eyes anyway, their ability to strike quickly ultimately should be the difference in this game. To, to be able to get, a, a, get points on the board um, with some big plays, it's something that Penn State can do that Rutgers can't, and I think it's going to be the difference. Yeah, 24-14 just kind of, felt right to me it's the the Penn State offense I it's really hard to to bank on them putting up a lot of points and Rutgers always seems to play Penn State tough even though Penn State has beaten Rutgers every year since Rutgers has entered the Big Ten and they've been some dominant victories it's not really you look at this it's not like Maryland where you look at the score and you're like whoa what happened there so I think that Rutgers I mean Chiano is a competent coach he'll have them ready. Um, Rutgers is playing for bowl eligibility. They have five wins. They haven't been to a bowl since 2014. I think that they would rather take care of that sooner rather than later. I mean, they have Maryland next week and Maryland has Michigan this weekend and also has five wins. So that could be an interesting uh, thing, but I think that Rutgers is, they're going to be solid. I don't think that there will be, there might be one or two busts, but it's not going to be the highlight reel. I think could be pretty short. And I think this game could be pretty short. The highlight reel could be pretty short. That's a good way of putting it because <laughs> it's a ringing you're endorsement. Gonna, you're not going to see a whole lot of those BTN tweets during the game. Like you have to see this highlight. Uh, we, we could see it. It'll be traditional big 10 November football in Bieber stadium. We'll see what happens as Daniel gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith for this edition of the blue white breakdown. Make sure you follow Daniel, especially on game day at Daniel JT gallon. You can check us out, uh, all the written video audio work we do at penlive.com slash Penn State Football. And you can download the Blue White Breakdown. We were doing episodes pretty much all week long. Everywhere podcasts are, are available. Go check us out there as well as YouTube. Thanks for tuning into this edition, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.